What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Ah, the copperhead snake. It hisses before attacking. But that's not a copperhead. That's the Sullivan's RV freshwater tank overflowing into their black one, which is backing into their vent pipe, making for a very different kind of attack. One that arrives just in time for taco night. It's wild out there. When it gets too wild, Progressive has your RV covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Adios, old friend. Yeah, I've got no secrets and no regrets. Well, a lot of regrets, but the point is I've got nothing to hide. Kind of like the way Progressive shows you their competitors' rates. You gotta put it all out there, baby. Excuse me, miss. Does this heart belong to you? Would you like it anyway? Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparisons not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Transformation. Urkel to Urkel. Suspenders to lapels From Nerdy Steve Got any cheese So puny and weak And metamorphosis from geek to fleek From caterpillar to butterfly The cocoon A metal chamber Rearranger of DNA to the Lakers legacy where two birds were killed with one stone for the Lakers this past week one was a literal bird of course who I guess in this sense kind of stoned himself with Larry Bird stepping down from his position of GM and head of basketball operations for the Indiana Pacers and turning duties over to Kevin Pritchard the other bird in this scenario of course is just uh Paul George because Paul George is a Laker now I'm your host Jonathan Hernandez and I'm once again joined by my co-host Tommy Alexander and Alan Riley Fellas, how's it going? And Alan, how does it feel to have Paul George in the purple and gold? Uh, I already have my jersey, and um, it looks great. He's he's wearing number uh, 12 this year because it isn't, <laughs> hasn't been taken by Wilt Chamberlain or Kobe Bryant, for that matter, since we all know he used to wear 13 and 24, and it fits very nicely. Got a classic purple and gold. That's great. Tommy, how does it feel to have Paul George in P&G? Feels lit. Enough said. All right. Oh, wait. Is he not a Laker yet, officially? Well, whatever. He will be soon I swear I saw it on my Twitter timeline. Pretty sure there is a Woj bomb. Woj at ESPN, Yes, exactly. Too soon? Too soon. (laughs) Anyways, before we get started, we want to once again remind you guys that you can find us on almightyballer.com, iTunes, Stitcher as a podcast, and when it comes to radio, you can catch us on Dash Radio. Let's have Jordan Clarkson do it since he might not be... I think he's gone, actually. So, Jordan Clarkson, this is your last shout-out. Tell us, tell the tell the audience when and where they can find us. Hey, man, that's not cool. I mean, I, I still here in L.A., man. I was just working out 
with Julius, you know. We ain't going to Indiana together, man. So, uh, yeah, stop spreading the hate, yo. Uh, alright, so, y'all, y'all's on Dash Radio now. That's dope. Uh, it's on Mondays, uh, 8 a.m. I ain't awake at that point. Uh, to 9 a.m. And, you know, the reason I ain't awake is cause, you know, I wake up at 5 a.m. now with, uh, with, with Rob, Mr. Palinka, and we be working out, you know, so then I get my nap in after that. So I'm gonna have to catch a replay or something. But anyway, Mondays, 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Yeah, check these guys out. They dope. I'm still a Laker, yo. Don't don't be tripping. Thank you, Jordan Clarkson, for now. 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Pacific Time Dash Radio. Also, please follow us on Twitter, at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us on iTunes, because the more you rate and review us, that's how many droplets of tears will fall from the eyes of Paul George loyalists from the state of Indiana this summer. And if rivers are being cried over there, then you know what that means. Also, we haven't had a rating and review in a while from iTunes, so send us one now. Five stars. Speaking of rating and reviews, we have new head of basketball operations, Kevin Pritchard, here to read today's review. Our impressionist extraordinaire, Tommy Alexander, will, of course, once again, channel Kevin Pritchard. So whenever you're ready, KP. Okay, this review is by Hman1101, and it's titled, Y'all Haven't Said Trill in a While. I've started getting into podcasts for over a year now. I was looking for a great Lakers podcast. I downloaded a few ones and gave them all a go to figure out which I liked best. And Lakers Legacy is the one I picked out as the one for me. The reason that they stood out is because they're funny, energetic, and never too positive or negative about the guys. It's very real. I mean true. I mean trill. Oh, that's it. Dude, can I party with Kevin Pritchard? He's great. <laughs> Dude, Kevin Pritchard keeps it trill for sure, and he's going to do that this summer. Thank you, Tommy. Thank you, KP. What went into your channeling of Kevin Pritchard? Um, well, it's funny because last time I did this, I think I was I was Larry Bird or something, and I and I imagined a guy who was about to trade Paul George. So this time I imagined a guy who was about to trade Paul George also. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. That is great. All right. Thank you for that. Yeah, please rate and review us on iTunes. It helps us out a lot. With that said, before we get started, once again, it's that time. Tankathon, spin the wheel of fortune. I hate last this. Time... <laughs> I love that you're going to say this every time I start this. Because that's how I feel. So last time we actually kept it and we stayed at the number one. So we are now two for two keeping our pick. So here we go. We're going to drop to five. I'm calling it. Okay. We'll see. Reverse jinx. One, two, three. With the number one pick, it goes to the Boston Celtics. Ooh. Number two, Los Angeles Lakers hey, at two. Reverse hey. Number three, Phoenix. So there you go. I'll take this scenario, even though we have to witness Boston go up there first. So definitely a better alternative than losing it so there you go we are now three and two keeping this pick and hopefully those odds continue to rise as we go along all right before we get started into our once again our paul george specific episode which i think this is going to be like a nine episode mini series or something until we get him we are going to do some listener questions so our first question comes from at andrew likes fun 
And I think for this one, one or two of us can answer it. And if anybody else has anything new to, to add, we can jump in. But uh, what do you guys think Paul George's role in Los Angeles will be if he gets here? Does Paul George play power forward? Does Ingram come off the bench or does he s- switch a position? So to give some context, Larry Bird, I think last year, maybe two years ago, told Paul George that he was going to play power forward. And Paul George says, I ain't playing power forward. And I think that's, that experiment lasted two games. So with that context being in play, I guess I'll throw it to Tommy. Tommy, what position do you think Paul George is going to play if he comes here, especially with Brandon Ingram already being on the team? Um, I think a lot of this depends on, I don't know. I was going to say a lot of this depends on what we end up doing with the pick. Like, do we keep it? Do we trade it in the trade for Paul George? If we trade it in the trade for Paul George, I could see him starting uh, like kind of fluidly between shooting guard and small forward. I think small forward is more like his natural position, but he has really good handles and uh, Ingram is still so skinny. I don't know if he can, if he can last at the small forward spot. So I guess fluidly between the two and the three is where I see Paul George and Ingram. And then ultimately if we get another guard or if we end up keeping our pick, I could see Paul George starting the season at the three. And then once Ingram, you know, in the next few years starts to bulk up, we could play Ingram at the, at the four, just because he's, he's got that seven, three wingspan, which is like really good for a a power forward. So I know it's weird to say now because Ingram weighs like 170 pounds, but once he starts to bulk up a little bit, I think he could definitely play a little stretch four. there's not too many bruisers left at that position in the NBA. So yeah, it depends on what we end up trading to get Paul George, but I would say two threes is probably his uh, position. I don't think we would play him at the power forward. Yeah, I agree, especially because he doesn't have the the weight or the bulk yet. I think even this past year, he played a couple, or at least he was matched up with smaller shooting guards. That's why he would always be posting up and shooting those turnaround fadeaways. So I think that works. Alan, do you have any thoughts? No, I don't see Paul George at the four spot at all. Um, he That's not his strength. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, you don't want to try to fit a circular peg into a square hole type thing so he'll definitely live at the two and the three and again it's become such a positionless NBA I don't think the labels even matter that much you'll probably see him bring the ball up the floor a number of times and of course this all depends on who ends up remaining on our team but I would agree with both of you two or three Brandon Ingram I mean uh, a lot of our Laker personnel were saying that Brandon seemed like he grew a couple inches during the season that he's actually closer to being seven feet now than anything. So as he does add weight and potentially physically resembles, I don't know, like a, even a smaller Giannis, we would all be happy with that because Giannis has gotten really big. Uh, he could definitely play that four spot. Yep. Agree. So yeah, thank you at Andrew likes fun. Our last question is from Albert Jin at Jinbert. He says, After listening to your last episode, I was thinking of a different approach to the off-season Rubik's Cube. Obviously, last season, Mitch and Jim decided to burn cap space and make quick moves. One of my biggest gripes was that a week later, Golden State basically sent Bogut, an expiring contract, plus a second rounder to Dallas. So here's my question. What about taking a more passive salary dump approach to the summer? You brought up Jeremy Lin plus first rounder, and another move was Jose Calderon for two second rounders. Let's say OKC wants to get Blake Griffin and re-sign Roberson. Maybe we can trade and pick up an Alex Abrines from the OKC Thunder, who has two years left and six mil per, for draft rights 
to an unsigned foreign player, or maybe Toronto needs place to re-sign Ibaka and we can get Corey Joseph, who has two years left for 7 mil. So he just asks, do we potentially see them making any types of moves like that this offseason if we decide to, I guess, go in that direction as another option? I think for me, I think they could go in this direction if they strike out on a Paul George trade, right? And also especially if they lose their draft pick since they'd have no incentive to be great in the 2017-18 season because they keep their 2018 pick. So if we do this type of move, it would signal and indicate that they're delving deeper into trust the process asset collection mode. So yeah, I could see them doing this only for teams with bloated contracts who only have one to two years left and who are trying to get rid of these contracts so they can make a move this summer. Kind of like what we did with Calderon because we took on an expiring, but he didn't have like a year or two left outside of that. If we take, we're not going to take on a three-year bloated contract because that's just going to add on to the Mozgov and Dang mistake. So I could definitely see them making a, okay, we don't, we don't have Paul George. We're going to semi just be flash the progress this year. So we might as well get any assets that we can for those teams that are trying to free up cap space on their own and need to attach a trade asset to one of their bloated contracts for us to take on. Ironically, Indiana would be a great team to trade with if they decide to keep Paul George and build a competitive team around him because they actually don't have a lot of ways to do that since they only have $24 million available without re-signing Teague. But they can free up nearly $21 million of cap space by trading away Al Jefferson, who has one more year at $10 million, and Monte Ellis, who has two years at about $9 million. So if they attach, say, their number 18 pick to take on these two fools, I think the Lakers would jump at the chance to make this type of trade happen. So, Tommy, I don't know what your thoughts are. No, I mean, I don't really have anything to add. I pretty much agree with what you said. Uh, I don't know. I I, I think we're going to get to this more as we delve deeper into this episode. But so much of this is just is going to be resolved as of like May 16th. You know what I mean? Once we know what's going to happen with our pick, it's going to it's going to make things so much more clear. And and right now, whenever I think about this stuff, there's just like this fog. You know what I mean? So (laughs) beyond what you said, I mean, we could go on like a speculate uh for uh you know about anything but i think what you said pretty much sums it up cool all right thank you at jinbert with that said we'll go into our segment one and i guess it won't be necessarily too paul george specific but it will touch on a bunch of paul george stuff and i kind of want to wanted to continue our discussion on the uh trust the process mentality that we kind of hinted upon last episode and i'm going to call this segment one asset coddling slash asset hoarding and uh Like I said in the last episode, I feel like some Lakers fans, without even realizing it, and maybe it's even happened to us, have become asset hoarders hiding under the guise of, we need to continue being patient because look at what's happened to us just recently trying to chase stars. I think that type of stance is kind of a lazy cop-out for fans who are so adamant about keeping all of our assets and because they immediately deem anyone who sees the value in trading for a star like Paul George as an impatient Lakers fan who's channeling that Lakers exceptionalism mentality. And I don't think that's the case anymore. I think for these types of fans, you know, I think the impatient mode could be labeled to people a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, but now we're like four years into this rebuild thing. And at this point, you can't fault anybody for saying, I think it's time to pivot and make a trade for a star, you know? But even now, there are a lot of fans who are still like, no, 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 we don't have enough assets yet. We must continue to keep all these assets, even if we keep the top three pick. And you guys know more than anyone, I've always been part of the trust the process mentality. I hated signing guys like Boozer, Mozgov, Dang. But now we're at the point entering year four of this current potential lotto legacy 
that I think the most important quality you need to have as a GM outside of patience is knowing when to pivot, right? You don't get very many chances like this Paul George deal. And Paul George is only 26 right now as we speak, where everything has lined up so perfectly for you to just engage and hit the deal button that you just kind of have to do it. The last years where we were chasing Carmelo Anthony, LaMarcus Aldridge, trying to get all these big name unrealistic free agents, like... Yes, those were times where you're like, you could be like, yo, don't be impatient. Let's trust the process and wait it out till we get more assets. But now we actually have assets. Are they, are they like the Sixers where we have like a full cupboard of assets? No, but we have enough to say, I think if an opportunity presents itself, it may be time to pivot. And, and that's up to Rob Palenka to determine whether or not it's a smart decision to do that now, whether it's smart to be aggressive. But I think that's why I just want to bring this up in terms of I think it's important for fans now to kind of check themselves before they wreck themselves in, ter- in terms of this asset collection mentality, because you don't want to have some sort of Stockholm syndrome where you're just stuck here forever and you're like, you don't even realize it, and especially because we haven't been in this situation ever before. So it's kind of new for everybody here. But I guess the other thing is. Even if we wanted to keep this patient mentality, as the Lakers, as Los Angeles, we can only stay in this mode for so long. The Philadelphia 76ers can stay there as long as they want because they're a smaller market team. I mean, they're a big market, but they don't operate the same way as Los Angeles. And we have different imperatives and prerogatives. So we kind of have to move faster, even if we want to stay in this trust the process mentality. So uh, Tommy brought up that Clippers example last time. Tommy, I don't know if you want to jump in and just talk about what that Clipper, that 90s Clippers team looked like because they kept collecting draft picks and lotto talent. But also on top of that, they never really knew how to pivot or do anything with those picks. And as a result, they stayed there for a long time. So yeah, my point that I was trying to make with that uh, when I brought that up last time was people like to jump on this OKC train of like, oh, OKC, they had top three lotto picks for three years in a row and they picked Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook and James Harden. And that's how you rebuild a team. You just have to have good scouting and high draft picks. But I think on the flip side of that is for every one OKC, there are 10 Los Angeles Clippers of the nineties, meaning that so many teams stockpile high draft picks or don't even stock like necessarily through trades, but they're just bad for so long and they they get stuck in this mentality of, well, after, you know, 15 games into the season, I guess we're not that good. So let's just tank again. And then we already have these last three years of top five picks. So if we add one more, then we'll for sure we'll have a whole starting lineup of top five picks. But there's so much risk that's associated with that. You know what I mean? And when you get stuck in this mindset of, oh, so and so who we just Michael Oloa Candy, who we just drafted was. You know, that's obviously an extreme example, but he was like the best player in college and he was the consensus number one pick and he's our big man of the future and we need to just find some other guys to like surround him with. Once you get caught in that mentality, you're sort of not objectively assessing the talent that you currently have. And it leads to situations like sort of I mean, this is, again, maybe another extreme example, but sort of like what happened to the Sixers, right? Like they're obviously in a much better spot than we are right now, but They did this, let's trust the process, best player available, and they probably did it a year or so too long, um, or even six months too long. The point is they were a little bit too long to where they ended up with three centers three years in a row that they drafted because they were in this, like, let's get best player available mentality, but they were too, they held on to those assets too strongly. Like, 
as of the draft date 2015, Jalil Okafor still had a very good deal of hype. And I guarantee you there were some teams who would be very, very happy to trade up to try to get him on their roster. Um, But once you let him stay, he's not getting consistent playing time. And then you start to hear about these attitude issues because he's not getting consistent playing time. And then, you know, if he's not getting consistent playing time, he can't develop and you know, the assumption around the NBA is, well, I guess this guy can't play if he can't get minutes ahead of these other two guys. Point being, you if you hold on to these guys for too long, it the long, you know, when you have a 19 year old guy who hasn't played, it's different than having a 22 year old guy who hasn't played um, because the 19 year old guy who hasn't played a team can take him in and try to mold him. And I get yeah, again, the point here is that when you get too into this, let me hold on to my assets forever it only diminishes the value of your assets and it increases the risk that you're just never going to land anything with those assets. And on top of just keeping the assets, not even consolidating the assets to move it for something else, you know, because exactly. So yeah. in like the, and to put that with the Lakers current situation, we have arguably one too many guys who need the ball in their hands to make a play. We have arguably too many guys who could play that sort of like hybrid forward role. So These are the kinds of things that we should be thinking about consolidating. And, you know, you brought up the Sixers not trading Okafor. That's a bad example. They also have a good example of moving around their assets because they had rookie of the year, Michael Carter-Williams, and they decided to trade him all of a sudden in year three for the Lakers draft pick, which they could get as soon as this summer, you know? They have a bad example, but that is also a good example of learning when to cut bait and trading an asset for a potentially better asset down the road. So that's what they did there. And then the other thing is, with the Clippers, obviously we talked about their long time span in the 90s of not doing anything and staying a lot of team forever because they didn't move around any pieces. Well, the one time they actually finally decided to trade some of their assets and picks for a guy like Elton Brand when they traded the number two pick, who was Tyson Chandler for Brand, that's when they finally were able to build a playoff team in the mid-2000s. And they had, like, I guess, two years in the playoffs, you know? And from there, then they were able to set the stage also for the Chris Paul era. So that's what I'm trying to get at in terms of Lakers fans. I know we love these players. Like, we've grown attached to them, especially because a lot of people are making fun of us during this these years. But we kind of also have to learn how to say goodbye and let go if there are better opportunities and not kind of, I don't even know what the word is, but like the asset version of slut shaming. Other people who are like, I want Paul George, you know, that's not just Lakers exceptionalism. I feel like at this point, the asset trust the process people have become like these hipsters who are like, man, if you want a star, that's so old school Lakers legacy mentality. We can't have that at all. And at this point, I don't think that's the case for some people. So Alan, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with all of that. Um, at this point, you know, Rob Palenka and Magic have stressed excellence over and over. That has really been the theme with everything that they've said. And we don't know what they think of guys like Jordan Clarkson and Julius Randle um, and, and a lot of the other young players on this team. And at this point, like Tommy said, if you hold on to them for too long, their value is just going to drop. And like a Jordan Clarkson, for example, his rookie year, he comes on, makes all NBA team. And it's, you know, he's this dark horse that nobody really saw being that great of a player in the league. And several years down the line, you just learn who he is. And, it's like, okay, so what is his, what is his ceiling? He's probably already reached it and teams are going to catch on to that and be like, Oh shoot. Like if he's not going to get much better than this, I don't really know how much value he holds. 
Um, so I'm not saying like, oh, we should have traded him a year ago or something like that, but how much longer do you wait? Same thing with a guy like Julius. Like he made major strides this year. He was arguably like most improved player, uh, from last year to this season. And maybe it's, this is like that window of opportunity that you just don't want to miss. If you hold on a little bit too long, um, I, I think Magic and Palinka have enough foresight and vision to see and project where he's going to be after one year from now. And if he falls short of what our long-term expectations are, then it's time to sell high, you know? So um, I I can definitely understand the emotional attachment to all of our players. We've gotten to know them and, you know, relationships and all that stuff obviously go into this. But like you said, we've unfortunately been in a place where the last three, four or five years – feels like a decade at this point. Um, It's like the standards have almost been lowered, which is sad to say. And that's not okay to get comfortable in that state. So um, I I believe Magic and Palinka will be very intelligent about this, but we've talked about this before. Like, are they going to be incredibly aggressive to make names for themselves? Like, no, that's not it. What they want to do is create the best team possible And again, if those players don't fit that bill, if that is not the vision that they foresee, then it's time and it's okay because that actually shows that their value is going to bring something good. That's why you collect assets, right? Not just to hold on to it, but to flip it for something else. And I know we pointed this before. You look at a Nick Van Exel, you look at Eddie Jones back in the day. I mean, we were all in elementary school at those times, but I remember I was devastated when they got traded. Um, but you look at what that turned into later. And of course there are a lot of other chips that fell into place, like getting Phil Jackson, but they could have easily held onto those guys and continued to have four all-stars, you know, Kobe, Shaq, Eddie, and Nick Van Exel. But what would that have gotten you in terms of titles? Yeah, you're right. They fill- ended up filling it, the roster out with better fit role players who could help Kobe and Shaq out. So I totally agree with you there. So, I, you know, at the end of the day, I just want everybody to kind of check themselves because I think that type of mentality is starting to bleed into the way we even look at guys where a lot of fans now look at Paul George and kind of scoff at him and say, well, what do we need Paul George even if he doesn't come to us anyways, right? He's, he's going to be 27 soon and he's not even a top 10 player in the NBA. And for me, I'm just like, really? We, we have an opportunity here to get a talent like this. And because we're so focused on the assets, all of a sudden we are underrating a guy like Paul George. No, no one's saying to gut the entire team for Paul. No, George. exactly. You know, we're not trading like five to seven of our players for one dude. And, you know, if you want to think about this a little more analytically, and I'm not by any means, like actually crunching numbers here behind the scenes. But how many wins do you think Paul George is worth by himself? How many wins do you think a Jordan Clarkson, a Julius Randle combined with the number 28 pick? Like, how many wins is that worth? Is it worth more than Paul George? And I understand that's kind of an abstract way of looking at things if you aren't actually delving into the numbers. But let's just use our our gut and our mind a little bit here. I'm pretty sure Paul George's wins are greater than theirs combined. Yeah, I agree. And I think, unfortunately, the past few years of when Kobe was here and everything have kind of left a bad taste in Lakers fans' mouths, especially the Steve Nash trade and everything, where we're like, we were just out of this mentality where we were impatient, we rushed, etc., etc. And I just want to tell everybody, contextualize it a little bit more, because those past few years are totally different than where we stand now. 
where if we get the top three pick, we do have assets. And people are outside of the, I don't think Paul George is that great mentality. People are saying, well, Paul George doesn't really fit the timeline of our young stars. And with the new CBA, I just like to point out, if Paul George doesn't fit our timeline as a 26, 27 year old guy, no one fits the timeline of our young guys. Do do people not realize this? Because the next guys who fit the timeline of D'Angelo, Russell, Brandon Ingram are the guys from their own draft classes. And unfortunately, with the new CBA, those guys are not going to make it to free agency. So you're either going to have to trade for them or you're going to find have to find an undervalued dude who somehow makes it to free agency. So in terms of the Paul George doesn't even fit our timeline argument, then Okay, if Paul George doesn't fit the guy's timeline, then nobody really does. And we're going to be looking for four years down the road before we can really get another star free agent. So that's why I say when you have the opportunity, you take it within reason. And saying you're being short-sighted and not thinking long-term is way too simplistic a label to cast on to people who want Paul George. Yes, of course, the perfect scenario is just keep all our assets, wait till Paul George is a free agent, and then tack him on to that young core without giving up anything. No crap, my friends. That's so obvious it's not even debatable, right? Unfortunately, things aren't always that simple, and history does not support that particular order of events occurring. Is it impossible to happen that Paul George even gets traded to the Celtics and walks to the Lakers anyways? No, it's not impossible, and I would love to be wrong about that, of course. It's just also highly unlikely and unrealistic. Exceptions are called exceptions for a reason, because they're highly unrealistic. Now, if you don't want Paul George, or if you don't care if Paul George comes one way or another and you're more focused on keeping the assets, then that's totally fine and fair. But for those who really want Paul George and think they can just get him for nothing, you kind of got to be a little more realistic than that. And also, I just want to prepare people for the scenario that, one, Paul George, if you really want Paul George, he's likely going to be traded. And number two, Paul George might even be traded to the Lakers. So it's probably good to start thinking about the positives with getting him now, even if you don't like that to happen, because at the end of the day, we are not the GMs, right? So kind of check yourself before you wreck yourself with regards to have I gone too deep with this asset trust the process hoarding mentality so I don't know if anybody had any last thoughts to add I think I think if you're going to hoard assets I mean they have to be sure Carl Anthony Towns type things yeah mm-hmm. you know what I mean and it, or like even a Larry Nance I feel like he's obviously nowhere close to Carl Anthony Towns but in terms of like you know what you're getting with him and you can see how he is going to make your team more complete. Maybe that is the type of asset you hold on to a little bit, uh, you know, more tightly. But again, and you know, I hate to like continue to pick on Julius and Jordan, but I think those are kind of the more obvious, um, you know, options for us in, st- in terms of moving a piece because they do maybe have that upside that teams can see. Um, but yeah, as far as the hoarding thing, like you just got to really look objectively at what you have and what you think they're going to turn into. Yep, agree. Okay, with that said, let's jump straight into the Paul George, Kevin Pritchard, Larry Bird carousel right now. Uh, you know, I'm just doing this and that's all. Okay, so Larry Bird stepped down the past week and turned his obligations over to Kevin Pritchard. Kevin Pritchard was the former GM of the Blazers, if anybody remembers. And this past week, Larry Bird spoke to the media and said that him stepping down was sort of planned even before the season began. And this was always supposed to be part of the plan. 
Furthermore, he said he wants to really step aside and let Pritchard do his job with full confidence in whatever direction he sees fit. With regards to Paul George, he said he has no idea what Paul's going to do, but PG Gum do what PG Gum do. More importantly, Kevin Pritchard also spoke to the media and said that him and PG-13 also talked for a good two hours regarding the direction of the Pacers and where Paul sees his role moving forward. According to him, all signs were positive, including Paul fitting himself squarely into the Pacers' plans. He also mentioned how it's on him to build a competitive team around Paul George. Now, this is all well and good, of course, and quite frankly, also kind of obvious. Especially because Paul George still has the designated player's veteran exception to think about as long as he makes an all-NBA team next year. So him ruining his relationship with the Pacers before, one, a trade has been consummated with another team like the Lakers, and two, before the season has even begun, makes no sense. So of course he's going to say, yes, I want to see what you can do to build a competitive team around me. Furthermore, with regards to Pritchard, what else is he really going to say to the media? As you may have guessed with Larry Bird stepping down, we are now going to set our sights on rebuilding? Of course not. He wouldn't say something like, we would of course love to rebuild around PG-13, but if he gives us no guarantees, we are ready to shift our sights on a full rebuild and explore the trade market this summer. So any teams who are prepared to trade for Paul George, it's open bidding season. No, he's not going to do that and ruin his leverage. In fact, if anything, he's actually in a place where he needs to regain some leverage in these PG-13 negotiations, given all of Paul George's comments and the rumors that have leaked about his desires to leave for the Lakers the past few months. So in this case, he actually needs to pump up Paul George's value again this summer if he hopes to extract any sort of fair value in negotiations for PG. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that he's 100% all in on the rebuild, just that he's definitely going to explore the market, and in order to do so, he needs to say stuff like, we are still, number one, going to rebuild around Paul George. Now, is it possible that PG-13 really gave Pritchard some positive signs that he's willing to stay? Of course. And I'm sure that's partly true, but there's also a 0% chance that Pritchard, as a smart GM, will not be going into this summer at the very least aggressively exploring the trade market for PG to at least see what's out there. Because regardless of whatever Paul George tells him this summer, at the end of the day, Paul George could also change his mind by season's end, or even before that. He could end up really missing out on an all-NBA team bid next year and losing Indiana its money leverage to keep him, and then he could just end up truly walking in 2018. So given the fluidity of that situation, it would be smart for Pritchard to arm himself against the very real possibility of PG-13 still walking and leaving them with nothing in return. So I'd have to think that if a team offered him a top three pick in this year's draft, he would have to engage and take that deal versus risking going into next season hoping he can improve the team enough and that PG-13 really does make an all-NBA team. So I feel like the that latter option is more is riskier, actually, than just getting the best trade available for Paul George and starting a rebuild. So with all that laid out, I wanted to move away from the vanilla obvious answer of what the Larry Bird-Kevin Pritchard exchange of power situation means, i.e. what they just told the media, and move straight into the more fun, tea-leave-reading, conspiracy-laden implications that could also exist. Obviously, take what we say with a grain of salt, but given historical and present context and just the obvious signs that are out there, I think there are some assumptions that we can realistically make about this switch. So I guess my first question to you guys is, does this move indicate something? So Tommy, I'll turn it to you first. What do you think this Kevin Pritchard takeover means? And why do you think Larry Bird decided to step down? The only reason I could see Larry Bird stepping down is because the owner or somebody told him, I'm assuming the owner told him, hey, I want to trade Paul George and rebuild. And Larry Bird said, 
I just had these health complications like three years ago. I I can't be part of like a full scale like rebuild right now. Um, Kevin Pritchard has a history of helping teams rebuild. He was with Portland when they rebuilt and collected guys like LaMarcus, Brandon Roy, Rudy Fernandez, uh, Nick Batum. He was obviously here with Indiana when they acquired Miles Turner and developed Paul George and Lance Stevenson. Um, I don't think he drafted Stevenson, but he was a part of the development process of those guys. Point being, he has a, he, he sort of has a background and a lot of experience in rebuilding teams. And it almost feels like a natural step to move on to him from Larry Bird. If that's what you're trying to do. I, I I feel like people like, I think Stephen A Smith after Larry Bird, um, or not, he didn't announce, but after it was announced that Larry Bird was resigning, Stephen A Smith came out with this clip or something. And he was like, Oh, Larry Bird is feeling the pressure and he, he can't build a contender and he's feeling the pressure with Paul George's free agency coming up. I just, Larry Bird is one of like the top 10 basketball players of all time. He's been involved in so many intense games. He was the head coach of a Indiana Pacers finals team. He became the, you know, uh, an executive in their front office where he's been for like almost 20 years. He's been with this organization for about 20 years um, in some capacity. And I highly doubt that Paul George is the reason that suddenly he's like, this is too much stress for me to handle. I have to leave. You know what I mean? I, I think it's more likely than not um, someone told him. And there were, of course, all those rumors that we talked about back when around the All-Star game time where Paul George apparently had some dinner with the owner. And there were mixed reports. Some people said, oh, it was planned and everything went well. And some people said it was sort of like thrown together at the last minute. And Paul George wanted to talk to the owner about some issues he was having. And that led to all the trade rumors. And that led to him making those weird comments after the trade deadline passed. And he was still there. Um, So I have to think the owner has a very strong feeling that Paul George is not going to stay. Um, and so he's thinking I might as well cut my losses now and get rid of them. And maybe bird was just like, he told bird that and bird was like, that's fine. And I just don't want to be part of a rebuild like that. Cause that's going to be like a ton of work. He had to resign a couple years ago for health issues. Sorry, not resign, but take a leave for health issues and then came back. So I don't know. Maybe he he can't deal with it or he doesn't want to deal with it at this stage in his career. And uh, both parties just decided to move on. But to me, the it was a very, very strong indicator that Paul George is going to be traded. Of course, he still might not be traded. I just think that that that's what it's pointing towards. Larry Bird also probably doesn't want to trade Paul George to the Lakers and be the guy who gives him over to Magic Johnson, you know? So. Right, right, right. And it also like sort of takes away that let's say Boston for some reason st- comes up with the best package and they think they can convince Paul George to stay if they trade for him. Like it sort of removes that like uh Danny Ainge, Larry Bird connection. Not that people would say it was collusion or anything if it was, you know, the best offer. Uh, but it, it sort of gets rid of that dilemma too of like, do I take like, or, or like, let's say magic has a better offer, slightly better offer than Danny Ainge. Then it removes that dilemma of, I have to choose magic over Danny Ainge, you know? Mm-hmm. So it, I don't know if that's I think it's more likely than not just that they want to trade him generally, but it also removes that that layer as well. Yeah, it just makes everything a lot cleaner. And then on top of this, in situations like this, obviously, the last episode I brought up, 
when it comes down to the disgruntled superstars last year and there are every indications that he's going to test free agency, for Kevin Pritchard, Paul George doesn't even need to blatantly say, I'm going to explore the free agent market and I don't see myself as part of the Indiana Pacers moving forward. He doesn't even need to blatantly say that. Even him just being silent and relatively lukewarm should be indication enough for Pritchard that he should seriously consider exploring trades for Paul George. So I think this is where we're at right now. Alan, what are your thoughts? Yeah, and I think, you know, I talked about it last time a little bit. Larry Bird's the guy that says, I don't think a coach should be with the same team for more than five years because the players stop listening. You need that turnover and kind of a fresh voice. For him, like Tommy said, he's been here for a very long time, and he might feel like this, talking about, talking about windows of opportunity again, like this is that window for him. And if we think about the history of the Pacers, they've been very successful with him working there in some capacity, and they didn't really hit a rough spot until Paul George had that injury. Um, Before that, people were talking about the Pacers challenging the Miami Heat, you know, Paul George versus LeBron, and they were at the top of the Eastern Conference, basically, and since then, it's really taken a nosedive, um, and he probably just kind of sees the writing on the wall of, like, this isn't getting any better anytime soon, and like Tommy said... I'm sure he does not want to be a part of a rebuild because that's another five, six, seven, eight years. And how old is he now? Like in his mid fifties or something like that. Um, and I also think about like Doc Rivers when he was with Boston, like he didn't want to go through a rebuild either after all the success that he experienced, which is why he made the move to the Clippers. So I can understand why Larry Bird would not want to remain in that position if he's going to have to essentially let this thing tear down to the bottom and then go from the ground up. Uh, I, I agree with the, the, the Danny Ainge and Magic Johnson kind of like, there's just a weird feeling to that. If you are Larry Bird and this just makes things so much more simple. Um, so yeah, I, I do think all those things played a factor, but him being such a competitive, like hard nosed guy, I mean, I heard James Worthy this year say on uh, Spectrum Sportsnet that Larry Bird was the most hated Celtic for him. Like, you would think he would hate McHale the most or whatever, but he said Larry Bird is an a-hole, straight up. So I think that says something about Larry Bird's personality. You know, like, it's kind of all or nothing for him, and he's not going to get too emotional about things if it's not going to... If this, like, next phase of his career is not going to result in a lot of winning then he's not going to want to be a part of it. Yeah, I agree. And I think, Tommy, I know you disagree on this part, but I think there's also something to be said, even like 10% to be said about Larry Bird, maybe just being tired by the entire process altogether, even with regards to the Paul George drama, where he's like, I'm not getting a positive response from this guy. The best he's giving me is lukewarm responses on, I'll think about it, I'll wait till it's time or whatever. That if it comes down to even going into next season still with Paul George and knowing on the other end of things, I'm going to be handing over a $210 million contract over five years to this dude. And then I don't have in the next two years a real ability to comfortably improve this team and we're going to be stuck in purgatory and Paul George is going to continue to complain I don't know if I want to continue dealing with that since I've dealt with it the last three years, you know? So especially if he has health problems, he's probably just like, look, either way, I see myself stuck between a rock and a hard place, and maybe it's time for me to step down. Obviously, I agree with you. I think it's more the rebuilding part of it things, but he's probably also like, okay, if Paul George says he wants to stay next year and stay 
beyond that to accept his DPVE max veteran contract or whatever. I don't know if I have the energy to also build a competitive team around this guy because the next two years we're going to be pretty much stuck in purgatory. So all in all, I think Larry Bird was just like, okay, change the scenery. Both parties need like a breath of fresh air. And I think this is what's happening. And as Tommy alluded to, Kevin Pritchard is the perfect type of GM to to go for this re- rebuild brute. He's he's pretty much an asset collector, asset fiend, because in the 2006 draft, he traded Telfair and Ratliff for the number seven pick. So those are actual guys he wanted to get a pick back. On draft night, he traded the number six and cash for number six pick, which ended up being Brandon Roy. He traded Tyrus Thomas on draft day and Victor Kriapa for LaMarcus Aldridge, etc., etc. The list goes on. He loves picks. He loves assets around and consolidating talent. And in this case, this is exactly what he would be doing, especially if the Lakers keep their top three picks. So I kind of shift the conversation to a lot of it is once again, as it always has, going to depend if the Lakers keep their top three pick. At this point, I feel like this Paul George to the Lakers thing went from a 60 to 70% kind of certainty to 85 to 90%, especially if we keep the pick, because it just makes way too much sense for both sides at this point. And I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I'm actually unfortunately very scared of getting the number one pick at this point, because, you know, those who have been listening probably know that I love Markel Fultz and he's the one guy I wouldn't trade in a Paul George package. Unfortunately, I also realized that it doesn't matter what we think as fans. I think Palinka and Magic would still probably trade Fultz for PG if Pritchard came down to that, we'll give you PG straight up for Fultz, if that was his stance. Even if we'd rather trade someone like D'Angelo instead of Fultz for PG, you know, or try and get Pritchard in a corner and say, take Clarkson and Randall for PG. I think Pritchard may just put his foot down to an extent and say, no, I want Fultz. And if that was the contingent to get that deal eventually consummated, I think Magic and Palenka would actually concede. So for me, it's going to be a very, very interesting situation to see where the Lakers land in the top three if they do keep their pick. I'm almost just wishing they get the number three pick because I'll have pretty much zero ties to that guy. It's going to be Josh Jackson, and I've already said goodbye to him in my heart. (laughs) So... If we get the number one, I'd be very, very sad because there's going to be a period of time where I'm like, well, it's going to be, I'm going to be jumping for joy. And then all of a sudden I'm going to be like, oh shoot, are we going to trade Fultz? So yeah, it's going to be weird being happy and then sad only to realize that he's probably going to be gone in a Paul George trade if it came down to that. So Tommy, what do you think? I mean, I'll definitely, I'll definitely be nervous about something like that. I have to think that Polinka and Magic... I don't know, dude. I have to think they know that and they'll probably see and, you know, we have really good scouts. So hopefully the scouts are just really on them and they're like, you know, Ryan West and Jesse Buss and these guys are just like, look, we I agree that we should try to everything we can to trade for Paul George. I think we should take the number one pick off the table. Um, We've seen trades of the number one pick for all stars. Obviously, even the most recent memory was Kevin Love for the uh, number one and like, you know, some fillers. The difference for us is we kind of need that number one still. It's like Paul George is going to completely turn this franchise around. But if we have an 18-year-old who's like a legitimate Kyrie Irving type player in the next few years to develop next to Paul George, we need to keep that type of asset. We're not in the Miami or sorry, the Cleveland Cavaliers situation where we already have LeBron and we already have Kyrie Irving and we have this number one pick. So like why not trade it for a 26-year-old superstar power forward who can help us win now? We're not in that situation. You know what I mean? Like D'Angelo 
is going to be, I still think, a great player. Brandon Ingram, we all think, is going to be a great player. Some of these other guys, we don't know what they're going to become, but they could become very, very solid, even maybe borderline all-star type players. But when you have this number one pick in this year's draft, given everything we've seen from Markel Fultz, I have to think that they, they will draw the line at, you can pretty much choose like anybody on our, you could take D'Angelo and, you know, uh, Randall and like future picks, but you can't have the number one um, because I, th- I, I don't know. And hopefully they see things the same way as me. I just think like Markel Fultz, you can't walk away from that, that type of player. No, I agree. And that's where I become asset yeah, that's <laughs> morning, dude. Once again, where I'm like, yo, don't trade that guy whatsoever. But I'm also, I also have to think of the scenario where they do. You know, I just want to get everybody prepared for that in that scenario because if I'm Kevin Pritchard and we're going to him with Fultz and he says, or like, we, if we keep Fultz, if I'm Kevin Pritchard, I'm saying I want that guy. And if we say no, you can't have that guy, but you can have D'Angelo Russell, Julius Randle, Jordan Clarkson, number twenty-eight. That's obviously a really great package, but if I'm Pritchard and I, I don't really, I don't know if I'd say, oh yeah, give me D'Angelo instead. If if the number one pick is sitting there right in front of his eyes, you know, it's almost like you're trying to hide this much better asset from his eyes or whatever. And he's like, no, I just want the number one. So there's gonna be definitely some crazy um, negotiating going on. But if I think if it if he draws a hard line stance. I, I honestly think Palinka and Magic might do it, and then that's when I get kind of scared, even you know? There, even there, I'm just like, it's it goes both ways, you know what I mean? It's like, we're not so desperate, like, throwing ourselves out of high-rise buildings for Paul George, you know what I mean? Like, we could just say, okay, great, let him walk for nothing next year. You know what I mean? So it's it's a balance on both sides. Like, at they we're going to draw a hard line, they're going to draw a hard line, but both parties want this to happen. You know what I mean? And when both parties want it to happen, you have to come to some sort of media, not to say we're going to fleece them or they're going to fleece us, but just to say, like, they need assets for Paul George. We want Paul George. If we say we're not giving the number one pick and they say, you know – they're they're not going to do it unless they get the number one pick. I don't know. I have to think they have more to lose than us because although we don't get Paul George, we also lose nothing. Mm -hmm. They get nothing and lose Paul George as a result of this, if they don't make a trade. So it it goes both ways. I I really hope that's the stance we take. (laughs) Yeah, it would. um, Bittersweet would not be the right adjective to describe us trading Markel Fultz. It would be extremely bitter. Um, it would feel like a loss for sure. So no, we would have to keep Markel Fultz and that's something to be extremely excited about if you're a Laker fan. Uh, again, we've said that he's kind of like a Dwayne Wade, James Harden kind of combination. And again, he's only 18 and he was on a terrible team in Washington and he was scoring more than 20 points per game, you know, with no teammates and poor coaching. So as great and amazing as it would be to have Paul George, Trading that to me, you're you're kind of mortgaging your future there, you know, because you would hope to have Markel Fultz for fourteen, fifteen, whatever years, and um, if you can keep him and then potentially sign Paul George later as a free agent, I mean, shoot, obviously anyone would rather have that. So I don't think you want to get too hasty with that, and I believe. Palinka and Magic are confident enough in themselves and in the organization that they wouldn't jump the gun on something like that and act so desperately. Uh, I don't know much about 
Kevin Pritchard, other than what we talked about, who he has traded before for rebuilding. But they, the Pacers are definitely at a disadvantage here <clears throat> in terms of negotiating and things like that. Like Tommy said, they want to get something for that guy, and they're going to have to budge a little bit when it comes to compromising for a deal. We have a lot more leverage in this case because, like we said, we don't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. And I suppose Indiana doesn't either, but there's a lot more to risk there if they don't than we do. So we we spent a long rant in the beginning talking about how we shouldn't get stuck in this asset hoarding mentality. But I (laughs) I think the flip side of that is when you are going to trade your assets or consolidate your assets or flip them into something else, you have to flip the right ones. You know what I mean? If you have Joel Embiid, Jalil Okafor, and Nerlens Noel – you don't just trade Joel Embiid because you have two other centers. You know what I mean? You have to you have to move the right ones. Um, so if we end up keeping the number one, it's up to our scouts. But I, in my opinion, we don't want to talk about this, obviously. But if it comes down to Markel Fultz and D'Angelo, I don't you know, you based on what we've said right now, I think you can get an idea of who we'd rather keep and who we'd rather trade between those two. Figuring out which position we pick in is going to be overly scrutinized, and we're going to like go into rabbit holes onto into each pick. Three, two, one. Which which one? I don't know what we're going to do. Yeah, it, it it's crazy. And you know, to talk about your Sixers point, unfortunately, the Sixers also picked the wrong one to trade with regards to Nerlens Noel being shipped out <laughs> instead of Okafor or anything like that. You know, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I totally agree. So to end our show, we're just going to go back into okay. This Paul George trade happens, and what happens to all of the asset-hoarding hipsters who are like, oh no, why did we give up stuff for Paul George? So I want to go back into why this trading for Paul George is not a bad thing, because I think there are some other arguments that we haven't brought up that people are throwing out there in terms of, oh, but trading for Paul George and giving up something for him now is actually a risk because we just had that happen to us with Dwight Howard. We traded for him, and then he walked in a year. And I go back to... Can we please contextualize properly, guys? Like, this is an entirely different scenario. Paul George, you can't equate to the Dwight Howard situation. One, Paul George comes from L.A. He grew up here. He loves the Lakers. He loves Kobe Bryant. He adores Magic Johnson. Dwight Howard, his biggest link to the Lakers was it would be cool to be in L.A. You know, that was it. And if we look at the situations, Dwight Howard was... Coming into a team where Kobe Bryant was, st- was still very much the man, and Kobe Bryant in a phone call told him, hey, I want you to be Tyson Chandler. <laughs> There's nobody talking to Paul George telling him, hey, I want you to be Joe Johnson, or something like that, something random like that, you know? it's Paul George is going to come to L.A., and he's immediately going to be the face of the franchise moving forward. And he'll be working with Magic Johnson, and he's going to be working with every player's favorite head coach, Luke Walton. Is it possible he has a terrible impression of the Lakers next season and there's a ton of dysfunction and it's an absolute calamity or catastrophe or whatever? Sure, but I think it's a very, very, very small chance. It would almost be like Luke Walton would randomly have to hit on Paul George's girlfriend or something for me to see a scenario (laughs) in which Paul George has such a bad taste in his mouth after being traded to us that he would test free agency and all of a sudden leave us. So I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on people saying, oh, no, but it's just as risky to give up stuff for Paul George this summer because he might walk. No, context is key, (laughs) clearly here. I mean, you just cannot compare those two things. Dwight entered a pretty tumultuous situation with, you know, Mike D'Antoni not really uh, being able to get through to the players and convince them to run his system, and then him kind of not budging and being flexible because maybe those players weren't the greatest fit. Like, it was just completely different. It was a different regime, too, in terms of the leadership. So, 
Uh, I mean, and there are, all, there are all these articles coming out from like Sam Amick from USA Today and wherever else. Like, oh, Paul George has told all of his teammates already, I want to go to the Lakers. So um, I, I think there's some truth to those things. I don't think someone would just completely make that up. And um, I would lean toward him wanting to stay, especially with Magic and Palinka and Luke um, at the head of the ship. Now, if they weren't here and this were still Mitch and Jim, uh, you know, then maybe we'd be a little bit more worried, right? Because things have been so rocky. It's like, well, what does the future look like for the Lakers? I think the future is quite clear at this point and what the vision is for, again, to use this word, excellence in everything we do. Um, so, no, you roll that dice. Tommy, do you see any risk of Paul George walking once we trade for him? Yeah, I mean, not not really. It's completely different than Dwight. It, it, to the extent there is risk, it's just not even in the same ballpark. And also, like, things didn't go well with Dwight. He was coming off a of back surgery for a guy who completely his entire game revolves around athleticism. Point with that is that, like, he didn't really have the same impact that I think everybody thought he would on the team. And that led to negative feelings. And then, you know, he, he just decided to go somewhere else. So I think the difference here is that Paul George would completely turn this franchise around just by himself. And it wouldn't be the same expectations of we want to win the championship. And then we come very far short of that. And then there's these weird negative feelings. I think it's just, like you guys said, it's all context. The Lakers world would all of a sudden orbit around Paul George, where I think Dwight wanted that to happen for him. But unfortunately, sorry, Kobe Bryant's here. And also, Pau Gasol's here. Steve Nash is here. And by the way, your coach is Mike D'Antoni, and he wants you to play pick and roll properly. And oh, you don't want to do it. So there's just so much that went wrong for that Dwight situation, where it's almost like, yeah, I could see why he would walk, and it's very plausible. So in this situation, we can kind of, definitely turn that risk into a from 50% like fans are almost saying that it's it's a 50-50 to 5% chance that he walks. So, I just want to throw that out there and also I I guess overall the reason why I see this as a certainty outside of talking about Kevin Pritchard's history is because the Kevin Durant leaving OKC thing it, out of nowhere is absolutely still fresh and salient in everyone's minds. So, in that case, I feel like Kevin Pritchard, who already had a history of doing things, even more so is going to say, we just had an instance of this happen last summer, and I am not going to leave this season getting nothing for Paul George. If he doesn't tell me this summer, I'm going to re-up with you guys for sure in a random verbal agreement, then I'm definitely trading him. Even if he's like, yeah, maybe. Like, a maybe is not good enough for me if I'm Kevin Pritchard. So for me, there is less than a 30% chance that Pritchard enters the next season with Paul George in a Pacers uniform. Because if he takes this to the trade deadline, then his leverage is lessened even more, and he's not going to get nearly the same amount of packages that he's going to get if he does it in the summer. So for me, I feel like this is a done deal. Whether it's with the Lakers or some other team, Kevin Pritchard is going to trade this guy. The only scenario in which I see him entering the the season with Paul George and, and beyond is, like I said, if he gets a random silent verbal agreement and commitment from Paul George telling him, I want all that money, so I'm going to stay with you, you know? Outside of that, I think it just makes too much sense for the Pacers to begin their rebuild. And obviously, like we've been talking about, it's probably going to center around the top three pick, hopefully number two or number three, preferably number three, Julius Randle, the number 28. And just talking about that package, I think that would be a great package for the Pacers to start off with. Because as we've seen in previous deals, it usually always centers around the main thing the main crux of the deal is a top three pick, and then you get an ancillary ancillary piece like Randall, 
if we're looking at the Kevin Love, Andrew Wiggins trade, it's Andrew Wiggins equals Josh Jackson, Thaddeus Young equals Julius Randle, Anthony Bennett is crap, so I guess that would equal the number 28. So it's the same as exact package, pretty much. And I think for the Pacers, to have a core like that would actually be pretty good for them. So, you know, Tommy and I, we've talked about how Julius Randle and Miles Turner would actually be a pretty good front court to have and build around, because... Turner is the exact type of big you want next to Randall, a guy who can space the floor, but also defend and block shots and rim protect for Julius Randall because Julius Randall is not a rim protector. So if you have those guys and then you have the number 28 and then you have a guy like Josh Jackson or Alonzo Ball with you, that is the start of a really good core for Indiana outside of the fact that they're going to have cap space moving forward because they don't have to give Paul George that money. And then, like we said, 2017-18 season, they're going to suck and they're going to have their 2018 probably top five lotto pick to add on to that course. So if I'm Pritchard, I'm just like, this just makes so much sense and I think this deal is going to happen. Tommy, I don't know if you have thoughts on why you think Pritchard's pretty much going to pull the deal or press the reset button and this deal is pretty much going to happen. I mean, it's basically everything we've talked about so far. It's too risky that he might potentially leave. And if he is going to potentially leave, it's just like you already have Miles Turner. If you can get a top pick from this year or one of the previous three years and like a future pick or something to and you're also going to be bad. So like you're probably going to have a top five pick in next year's draft, which is apparently stacked as well. It's like, this is one way to very, very quickly rebuild. Like clearly they put together a team this year that they thought could be in Larry bird, which is, was actually completely shocking to me because I was looking into this a little bit after he, after it was announced that he was resigning. He has said publicly, like on the record to the media, Things didn't go as we planned this year because we built this team thinking they would be at least a four seed. And this is when his team, he made these comments like two months ago and his team was like not even guaranteed a playoff spot. You know, so that's the, that was the, they were very like direct and blunt about it. And when they built that sort of team and things didn't go the way that they thought it, I think it's almost natural to be like, okay, well, this isn't working you know, we don't know what Miles Turner's going to become, but the point is he's like 20. So by the time he becomes anything, Paul George is going to be like, you know, more deeper into his career. And then we were going to have to pay Miles Turner at that point. And then who else are we going to get to come to Indiana? So given this new CBA, why don't we just keep Miles Turner and try to get some more young guys and tr- go in a different direction? And I don't know, subconsciously, maybe they're also thinking, and then by that time, LeBron is probably going to be retired, so we'll actually have a chance. So I don't know. But I, I think for all those reasons, it, it, it makes sense for him to look for a trade now. I guess the last question I want to ask you guys is, so what happens if we don't get the top three pick? Does that totally eliminate this possibility of trying to trade for Paul George? Or do you guys think there's a possibility that we can still use whatever assets we do have left to get him? And would you do that, Alan? I think I still think there's a possibility. I don't think it's nearly as great, but um, you're just gonna have to give up a little bit more, mm-hmm. you know. Whether that's uh, a combination of Clarkson, Randall, D'Angelo, right? That spices it up a little bit, oh. and then you know what I mean. Like that's a lot, but I don't know. I, I think it, it's possible. Tommy. I know that sucks. That like hurt to say it out loud. <laughs> well, I think the one thing about that though is like the marketplace changes depending on what assets are out there. You know what I mean? So like 
if all we have to if we lose our pick, so we lose our 2017 pick and our 2019 pick, and we're clearly a rebuilding team. There's only so much we can like realistically offer. You know what I mean? It's like we always say like, oh, well, you can't trade five guys for Paul George. And I think the context is even, you know, tightened here where it's like, look, we're not going to trade. We only have two guys who we think are could be tier one type assets. And that's Ingram and D'Angelo. We can't trade you one of those two because what the hell are we supposed to do after that? You know what I mean? Like, how are we going to build a contending team with Paul George and of to a roster of D league players, you know? So I think, it, I think it, yes, it's possible, but the question is not what we would do because I have a feeling I know what we would do. I it's, it's more like would Indiana accept something like that? I think Randall Clarkson and one of either Larry Nance jr. Zubots or the number 28 pick. I think that's the most we would offer and then just leave it up to Indiana to decide. And would they do it? No, but it, I don't. Well, I don't think so. But that again, that's the question of: Is that fair value for Paul George? And the answer is obviously no. But the second question is: Is that market value for Paul George? Because if they are dead set on trading him, and they're like, we have to get something, and everybody knows he won't resign with their team if they make a trade. So, like, is that the best offer Indiana's going to get? Possibly. I don't know. Yeah, we want we want them to make a boogie type trade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> like. You know, like when I when I threw out D'Angelo's name, I don't think I don't think the Lakers should do that, but I think that's what India would Indiana would ask for initially, of course. Like they wanna get as much as possible, but yeah, we wouldn't do it. I hope not. Yeah. They're just they would try to see how desperate we are. Of course, yeah. Okay, so that's gonna be pretty much it for our show. The last thing I'll say in terms of the positives of bringing Paul George in, especially if we do keep our pick and we have to trade that pick, I just wanna remind everybody that if we tra- if we keep our pick, 2018 we lose our pick. Those so there's absolutely no incentive to tank anymore. So if we all of a sudden bring Paul George in and start the rebuild, it makes sense to contend as soon as possible because 2018 there's no lotto pick on the other side of that. You know what I mean? So we already kept our pick and we just traded it for Paul George. Paul George is here. It's time to pivot correctly. And so that's why I'll say, even trading the top three pick at this point is a good thing to get if we get Paul George coming back because there's no incentive to, to lose essentially. And so, yeah, just want to throw that out there. Uh, with that said, thank you guys for listening. Once again, please follow us on Twitter at Lakers legacy pod. Please also rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, we are also on dash radio. I don't know who's on the other side of this, but tell them when and where, whoever you are. Hey guys, it's, uh, it's been a while since I've talked to you all. Uh, hope you're having a good, uh, end of the month here in April. I know it seems like we haven't played a game in about three months here. Miss you all. Uh, you gotta listen to this show. It's, it's really good. It's getting me through these tough times, just having to watch the playoffs. So, uh, they're on Dash Radio on Monday mornings from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. At that time, I'm hanging out with my babies, you know, good old Landon. She's growing up before my eyes, and um, these guys are teaching her all about the Lakers, and it's great. So, Monday mornings, 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Pacific time, Laker Nation. Hope you guys are having a great off season. How does Paul George look in a purple and gold uniform, Luke? Well, you know, I I can't talk about other players that would be tampering, but I would say any player in the NBA would look great in purple and gold, and that would include that guy you just mentioned. 
wink, wink, to quote Magic Johnson, <laughs> wink, 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 with both eyes about 10 times. <laughs> All right, awesome. Thank you, Coach Luke. With that said, that'll do it for our show. We'll catch you guys next time. Alan, catch you later. Later. Tommy, catch you later. Later. All right, peace out, everybody. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents, which means you're going to start telling your kids to clean up before the cleaning lady comes. Doesn't make sense, but you're the parent and they're the kids. You're going to start telling them that now, too. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. And there's your opening to remind them who pays the bills around here. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. This is what flow from Progressive sounds like in one of our many hilarious commercials. Hi! Did you know that you can get a quote on your motorcycle insurance in under three minutes at Progressive.com? And did you know that saying hi makes even bad news sound good? Hi! You have high cholesterol! Hi! You're fine! And this is what that same commercial sounds like on your motorcycle. Hi! There's no more even our commercials sound better on a bike. And with basic policy starting at $75 a year, Progressive helps keep you on yours. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates annual premium for basic liability policy not available in all states. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.